Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hello and welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced at 3CR Community Radio and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Amy McMurtry. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge Elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from now. On today's Women on the Line, we speak with Larissa McFarlane, an activist and artist based in Melbourne, about disability pride and its power against structural systems and attitudes which marginalise those with a disability. We'll hear from Larissa about the ways in which she utilises her practice to engage her community to create safe cultural space, which continues to support the struggle for self-determination of people with disability. The well-used statement, nothing about us without us originated from disabled struggles, a catch cry against systems which decided that they were best placed to make decisions for people with impairments. Today's show is all about a community who are fighting for human rights, dignity and access to full participation in all forms of society. A bit more about Larissa. Larissa McFarlane is a Melbourne-based artist and disability activist working across the mediums of printmaking, artist books, street art and a community art practice. Larissa began her visual art practice in her 30s after her brain injury rearranged her talents. Larissa has become known for her street art practice that investigates her daily ritual of performing handstands, a key part of her disability self-management. Larissa is also currently the Vice President of Brain Injury Matters, Australia's leading self-advocacy ABI group run by and for people with ABI. Can you tell us about what is Disability Pride and why is it so significant to your practice? That's a big question. Disability pride is about, essentially uh, for me, it's about being able, for me and my friends, it's about being able to identify positively with disability um, and positively with our bodies and our lives. Because disability is, has such a, seen so negatively in our culture, it's really difficult for people to own their lives. Um, their lives, you know, their bodies are seen as a problem and it's, um, and this, it's really difficult. Disability pride is also about changing those attitudes and and also that disability is actually just, a, you know, an ex, it's part of the diversity of human experience and it's a natural part of human experience. Um, indeed, you know, statistically, I think last I heard it was 70% of people will experience disability um, at some point in their life, whether it's long-term or short-term. So it's actually really common and it's a complete myth that it happens to other people. It actually is going to happen to most of us and, and yet we're in sort of denial of that. So it's, I think it's about bringing attention to that as well and that it is just a natural part of living human life. Um, why is it really important to me? Because through my 20-year 
you know, career of having a disability, um, I've experienced, you know, a lot of shame around um, identifying with my mental illness or my brain injury or having chronic pain and and I found it really hard to identify with the word disability and I didn't, I couldn't understand why that was the case and eventually I was like, I discovered this thing called internalised ableism which, which is that idea that our society is ableist and that people, and and discriminates against people with disabilities and people with disabilities internalise those feelings so they have negative feelings towards themselves and I just got sick of it, I think, and I decided yeah. that the only way things were going to change is if we actually made a stand ourselves and, um, and identified as disabled. That's really hard to do, so disability pride for me is about the need to, you know, that it's a journey, that you practise to be proud and also that it's a movement. It's not just you by yourself is that there is a disability pride movement and this is about for me it's a lot about bringing people together bringing people together to identify because I know that um, I am only as strong as my community is strong and that that's when I am at the strongest is when my community is strong and so I can only do disability pride if um, if I bring people with me mm-hmm. and also it's I have to say that there are so many people in Melbourne's um, community friends of mine who do have taught me about disability pride they've been the leaders I'm the one that has the artistic skills that said let in a crazy way let's make this a public artwork yeah awesome yeah that thing you were you were saying about um about the way in which disability is pride is about a community and a movement and it made me think about how actually probably jumping the gun a bit here but I was going to say the medical the medical model and I'll get you to talk to that in a minute and how isolating that is and how alienating that is and how the disability pride that you talk about is really about taking back the power. Yeah, definitely about taking back the power and doing it resisting the way that the medical model, you know, separates you from everybody else. It really puts you in your own isolated box um and it prevents you from being able to connect with other people. And when you do, that's when you go, oh, I'm not the only one with this issue. Um, and, you know, really there's a power in, in, in building community. So the medical model of disability sees that, which is the dominant way of thinking in Australian culture, it sees that disability is a problem, that your body is a problem, your mind, your brain, um, is a problem and it needs to be fixed or it needs to be cured and if it can't be cured it needs to be managed and if it can't be managed well then you're wrong because you need to be doing the work so it also puts the responsibility back on the person to somehow fix a problem that has been put upon them which is impossible to fix and so the medical model also then sees that if it's it, it feeds into it's aligned with sort of the charity model as well so that if you if you need when you, if you need support or if you need access to, to, to simple things like employment or education or even basic health care, then if you get that, you're supposed to be grateful because mm-hmm. there's this sense that everything you receive is a charity, which goes against, you know, all the human rights that we supposedly adhere to in this country. So the, me- the social model of disability, which I'm still trying to understand, but the social model of disability doesn't see that your body is the problem. It sees that the structures of society and the attitudes of society, that's the problem. Those are the barriers that people with disabilities face. So simplistically, I suppose, if you're in a wheelchair, you know, it's not your body that's a problem and it's not the wheelchair, because the wheelchair is actually pretty ace. It's actually the set of stairs that, that you come up to. That's the problem that prevents you from gaining access to where you need to get to. 
And similarly, it's the attitudes as well. Um, so under the social model, disability is not a problem and disability is actually not about your body at all. Disability is the structure of society, but impairments are what your body has. That's a neutral term. It's a real cultural shift in our way of thinking. And I'm quite new to it, really. It is, yeah, it is quite a cultural shift. And I think that it's something that um, people are, are still learning about. When you kind of come to it, it's like, oh, you know, it's such a shift, you know, and it really turns things on our heads. And I think it's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. I think, too, that um, another aspect that it shifts when under the medical model, so apart from being treated as a recipient of charity and being made to that you must feel grateful it also means that people can only see you they pity you so when you say i have a disability there's this people have this real big urge to pity you or else see you as an inspiration and there isn't really any other way to view disability whereas under the social model all that stuff goes out because you are fabulous mm. as you are yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I say that literally truly because i've come to really understand that the experience of disability gives you so many gives you so many skills. It gives you so. I'm mean, not actually think people with disability are some of the most creative people on the planet because we have to come. We have to creatively problem solve the barriers in our lives, and we have to often do that by ourselves. So we're often coming up with really creative ways to do things, and and that's something that you know we should be celebrating. Women on the line and on community radio stations right across Australia. You're listening to Women on the Line. You've been hearing from Larissa McFarlane about Disability Pride, a powerful movement against the structural marginalisation people with disability experience. Stay tuned to hear more from Larissa about her art practice and the way she utilises it to build and sustain community and voice. So um, talking about celebration, I guess that's probably a good lead-in to talk about your, your art practice and about the Disability Pride pay-stops. And I know, you know, not everything is uh, necessarily about celebration in that space. It's sort of, it's a funny one because, yes, part of it is about celebration. But, I mean, because, because we haven't had much disability pride in this country and indeed the disability pride mural is the first in Australia. Um, so I think for me when I first did it, it was about bringing people, bringing people into public space where it was safe to identify and where we could share and talk about what it means to identify and that, you know, there is... Disability isn't all roses and lovely things. I mean, there some people's disabilities, there is, there is suffering, there is pain, but it's not something that is wrong or to be, to be pitied. It's actually how, how it is. This is a difficult one, but that's how I mm. see my suffering. I have a lot of suffering in my own life around... I experience a lot of distress and and I have chronic pain but I I also know that that distress that I have it's just how I am because of my brain injury and maybe when the social model has rolled out in Australia that distress will be less I'm sure but that is also how I am and I just know that I need to find a way to be the best me within that and that I can't fix it and I'm not sure that it can be fixed and I'm using quotation marks it is just my experience. It just kind of got me to thinking actually about, you know, maybe a bit of a, a shift about the way pride is often kind of traditionally expressed and thought about, but maybe pride is also about the sense of taking back humanity from the medical model. Yes, yes. It is, and it's about human rights as well. It is a political term. 
and um, but it is yes about taking back your your right to live and your right to be a human and your right to access those everyday things that I mentioned before, like getting a job and having a house and yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you've done two of these uh, disability pride paste ups in Footscray in the exact same location. People who have been following you would probably know that sadly the council accidentally removed the first paste up late last year, despite it being commissioned as part of a local arts event. They're involved in funding. They came out apologised and agreed to fund the work again as part of Melbourne Fringe this year. Can you tell us about the experience of revisiting this place and remounting the work? I can, I think. It's, uh, it's been a really, really big, difficult, hard journey for the last nine and a half months to find a way to do it again. I, and I, it's interesting because I've actually experienced quite a lot of shame that I couldn't get this work to happen, couldn't get it to happen again. And I think, I, again, I was, I was feeding into my own internalised ableism that I should be able to find a way and not recognising that it was a really, really big deal when it was removed. So it was removed only a week after it had been up and it also was removed on International Day of People with a Disability. So it just became, it was such a symbol of, you know, the way people's lives, people with disabilities, their lives are marginalised and our lives are erased. You know, our history is erased. We know so little about the history of people with disabilities in this country. And and it, so it was really tough. And I also think that to by it being removed and it got a lot of media I don't think the media really understood what disability pride is Mm -hmm. Um, but that was good but it suddenly became a bigger profile and and so I felt a lot more pressure and I also felt also it was that point I realized that this was actually the first time in Australia that we'd done a disability pride mural and and so then again it meant so much more and then also understanding that disability pride really starting to understand that it is so misunderstood well, so unheard of that um it felt so important to do it's interesting because it's a week now since the pride wall went back up again and first thing was that i just felt like i could breathe for the first mm-hmm. time in nine and a half months like it was such an amazing feeling to have it back so in the last week trying to process and trying to understand and i'm still in that crazy emotional space but trying to understand why it was so hard and and i think a lot of it was just trying to resist resist ableism in some ways because once we'd done it and then then people sort of heard about it and then well-meaning organizations of which there were several wanted to come in and help and whilst that sounds great what i discovered after pain, painful experience was that what that meant was that they were going to come in and take over and not that they were meaning to take over, but there's this real sort of tradition that, you know, that people with disabilities need help and that they can't possibly do anything by themselves and they need our help. And rather than ask me and my community what we needed, it was like, well, here, this is what you should do. And trying to speak back to that and trying to say, no, this is a disability-led thing and we actually, well, we can do it because we did it last year and that what you're suggesting is wrong and is not appropriate for us. Um, that took an enormous amount of energy, a huge amount of emotional energy that I really wanted to be putting into building a new artwork and a new community, a community around this artwork. So that was really disappointing, but it's also made me realise that that it is a fight to keep... We don't have a lot of disability-led um, projects or art projects or any disability-led organisations. They're very few and far between in Australia. and and. Um, 
and so we haven't really we don't have experience in doing it and and it is a big it's it i can't emphasize how shocked i was to find these organizations um take trying to take over um and and also it was really hard to try to keep the space a real space a really culturally sensitive space for people with disabilities that was owned by us that was the whole point of doing the disability pride mural and creating this performance event and and I, I, can, I could so easily see how it could suddenly become tokenised. Um, I'm very passionate that, this, that something like Disability Pride has to be disability-led and it has to be really grounded in people's lives and in the politics of disability pride. Yeah, another thing I'll say that has been interesting in this journey of trying to do the wall again has been how many able-bodied people have questioned me about my right to do this. So many able-bodied people saying, oh, well, you're not really disabled. Um, why are you doing this? Or have you spoken to your disabled community? Like, do they approve of you leading this project? And things like that. It was a, a great number of people um, to the point that I actually did go back to my disabled friends and just confirm with them and say, um, are you okay with me doing this? Like, you know, um, I have a different disability to you and, and my parent, parents are quite different. Um, are you okay? And the response was always like, yes, of course, you know? Mm. Um, so it just, that's really interesting to note. And I know of many of my friends where we're constantly, particularly if you have an invisible disability, and that is actually 90% of disabilities are invisible. So people with disabilities are continually being sort of told that they're not really disabled or if they attempt to use that um, that terminology and also people you know even when your friends say to you things like oh well I know you have a disability but I don't really see you like that mm. I just see you as my friend which is well-meaning but it yeah. actually sort of um, disrespects your his your own personal history with disability and the, your own lives it actually it sort of marginalizes those and, and removes them it's a really common practice and I but I I wonder too when able-bodied people say it, I mean, again, it's feeding into that medical model that is trying to distance, that inherent within the medical model is that it uh, isolates people and it doesn't allow people to come together to talk. That, that's sort of the structure of that. And again, when able-bodied people question your identity, um, it's also about going, well, you don't really belong there and trying to minimise the issue. But for me, being told that this year repeatedly actually made me, although it was really hard and heartbreaking and, again, took up so much emotional energy that I didn't have spoons for, but it actually made me stronger because it made me go, you know, I am not leaving my brothers and sisters behind. Like, just because I am now, you know, I have less impairment and um, my brain injury, I've worked, I, I know how to work with my brain injury much better now. I can't leave my brothers and sisters behind. They are my brothers and sisters. And if I don't identify, I am leaving people who don't have a voice without a voice. My name's Ross and I'm here with Description Victoria who provide art experiences for blind and vision impaired people in the arts community or whichever community and this is this classifies this uh, this installation so I'm here making a braille representation for art so I'm writing disability pride in braille 
on a piece of paper and which we've put into a cell and I'm just on, up to the Y in disability. Today uh, we are reinstalling the disability pride roll. It is a series of case stops on a giant brick roll. And what's the one you're actually working on at the moment? <laughs> um, we, we are working on one um, about mental illness. I see. Psychosis, anyway. Disability is nothing to be ashamed of. It's not a disease. It's something we cannot change. Some of us are born with it. It's not always shown. Some of it is learning. So we sort of chilling out in the celebration of those artists for the, 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 end of, for the end of the year. So we love them, support, and I need some food and have a drink of water, can we hydrate. It's good outside. So the chat my people. I'm going to make your friends. So it's good, it's good vitamin C that you're out. Um, my name's Anna. I'm a photographer, and I'm here to photograph the the event today. But I'm also a person with a disability, so the whole message of disability for I is important to me. Yeah, awesome. And um, so, yeah, can you talk about why it's important? Um, because there's a lot of shame associated with mental illness, which I struggle with, um, and it's good to see the opposite side of that, which is pride and um, feeling good about oneself, which is, makes everybody feel better, have better lives. Well, I'm a friend of uh, Theresa, Shria, Theresa, and she was trying to ring me on the mobile and they only got me yesterday so I came to see what they did and they did some uh, calorie ins. I'm also at a nursing home because my health went down and I'm uh, like a spy because we are thinking of uh, elders bride and things like that. People like to pretend that these things don't happen. Put this under the carpet. And I think they have to know all people have dignity and be seen and they also have pride. creation of safe and self-determined space. Obviously that was really important in the work and I wonder if you can talk a bit about the significance of this process and in the Paste Up project. Initially it was all about doing it in public space because you don't see people with disabilities en masse particularly and well sometimes you do but they're usually part of you know the disability services taking people out to play bingo or bowling or those mindless things that apparently we like to do. And so this was about, yes, being self-determining ourselves in public space. And it was about, you know, passerby seeing a bunch of people identifying with disability, 
of various types owning a space. I went back to the wall last night and I just felt so, like, proud that, you know, this is my space. I can stand here and really belong. And I hope that um, other people who come to visit the space, and I know all the artists involved, I very much hope they will too, you know, really feel that we've staked a claim to this space, to this wall, to this identity of disability. And we're rejecting the negative stereotypes that are placed upon us. How can allies support this work and the disability movement? What, what kind of advice would you have for people out there listening? Like, how can I support this? I've thought a little bit about this because I was very, mostly just about the idea of allies because I was very insistent, you know, at the beginning that it was, you know, disability-led and disability-produced and, and just for people with disabilities. And the, but then I realised that I, especially when I did the second one, that I actually have great friends who are allies, who understand disability and respect the space, disability. And so there were allies involved in making this work and I, and, and I, I think that's great. So I think that allies, if you want to be an ally to the disabled community, um, I think it's about listening. I think it is about asking questions and then listening to answers. I know some people with disabilities, you know, are offended by questions they're asked and, you know, that's because we get asked them all the time, but it's often because we're asked them and then our responses aren't listened to. So I think um, that, yeah, it's listening and being prepared to be wrong and being prepared or to, to, to recognise that you don't understand and that's part of our culture, our Australian culture, that doesn't understand and respect that disability is a culture. I often hear people talk about, like on the radio or in talks or, or everywhere really, people talk about diversity and what they're referring to most of the time is ethnic diversity, but disability is left out of that. And I think we should be putting up our hands and say, hang on a sec, disability is also one of those diverse groups. That's one way to enable us to be seen more. Calling out ableism. Ableism happens all the time and and it's really hard to call it out yourself when you're in that situation and you're being discriminated against because there's so many emotions. It'll be seen by others that if you call it out and give it a name, give it a name and call it ableism because ableism is as real as racism, as sexism, as homophobia. It's just as real, but it's not talked about. And I suspect, you know, most people haven't even heard of the word ableism. And we need to spread that word. You were listening to Larissa McFarlane. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to womenonthelion at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website, 3cr.org.au. Go to the Women Online page and follow the links to this week's show. The theme song for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I've been your host, Amy McMurtry. Thanks for tuning into the show.